This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A slight spike in COVID infections with concerns about community transmission. We made a, a decision to keep the club closed during the pandemic. Why one legendary strip club is suddenly reserved. BC's return to school plan stalls. There's before and after care to be concerned about. Why parents have to wait a lot longer for answers. And deadly fire at a motel. This just happened. The fire is seen still hot. The disturbing discovery investigators made at the scene. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Exactly two weeks after Phase 3 officially kicked off in BC and we're seeing a bit of a spike in the numbers. We had been averaging around 10 per day, but today we have 18 new cases, pushing our total number of cases over the 3,000 barrier. Sadly, we had three more deaths, all from Holy Family Care Home, making the province-wide COVID-19 death toll 186. 17 people are in hospital, three of them in ICU. 2,660 people are now considered recovered, leaving us with 162 active cases. Now, public health officials say they are concerned about a string of recent COVID-19 cases tied to a bar and nightclubs in Vancouver and two of the city's remaining strip clubs. As Jordan Armstrong reports, B.C.'s health minister says those cases could lead to the province closing a loophole in the restart plan. Number 5 Orange stepped up cleaning and added plexiglass to keep dancers and customers apart. Still, the strip club has had at least two cases of COVID-19. Brandy's, downtown Vancouver's other exotic lounge to reopen, has also had positive cases. Meanwhile, people with COVID are known to have spent time at the Hotel Belmont Bar and Nightclub on two occasions late last month. We don't know that these particular incidents or exposures have been linked, but there does seem to be a growing number of public exposures in entertainment venues that have happened in the recent days. Nightclubs are part of Phase 4 and BC's restart plan, but some have repurposed their spaces to meet guidelines for restaurants and pubs, which were part of Phase 2, a loophole that could soon be closed. Yes, public health is reviewing those to make sure that the rules are both being followed in these cases systematically and secondly, uh, whether uh, adjustments need to be made. We could open tonight if we want to and not have exotic entertainment on the stage. Uh, I've said it to my friends, it's like opening a pizza place without serving pizza. The Penthouse, Vancouver's oldest strip club, was first to close and owner Danny Filipponi says will likely be last to reopen. I just didn't want to be that bar that was going to end up being closed or smeared on TV for not doing the proper thing or not, or not following the rules. He's using the shutdown to make small renovations in preparation for the new normal. He says at first his staff was eager to get back to work, 
but not anymore. The calls I've been receiving lately from the staffs have been quite different. They've been, thank you, Daddy, for, for not opening, and, and way to go. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. And we have just received word the number five orange notification is being expanded from the original alert after a second person tested positive. Anyone who went to that club July 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and the 7th may have been exposed and should monitor themselves for symptoms for 14 days. The NDP government is being criticized for its plan to resume school in September. As Richard Zussman reports, critics say the government's timetable will leave parents in the lurch. Hey, I like it though. What'd you do for your birthday? Michaela Mealy Benoit celebrating her 10th birthday and getting ready for grade five couldn't be further from her mind. But for her mom, Coralyn Mealy, finding out what school will look like in the fall is a constant worry. More advance notice so that we can be letting our employers know as well. I think that's really what's needed so that we can be like, this is what we're looking for. Many British Columbian parents are in the same boat as Mealy, unsure if the return to school in September will be full-time or a hybrid model, like in June with kids splitting time in class and learning virtually. The issue being raised in question period on Wednesday. It sounds like the minister's got a plan to get a plan, but families want some certainty for September. Education Minister Rob Fleming announcing details are coming in three weeks' time, but so much is still up in the air around what form schooling will take. We're all working uh, on the same playbook, and that's to have a strong restart in September. We're all sharing our experiences from the, uh, from the month of June. Pressure is intensifying for parents planning on returning to work in the fall, who will have to find alternative arrangements for their kids if school isn't full-time. We know that those younger students require a lot of their parents' time for learning, and that really impacts their ability to also do their own jobs. Then there's the challenge of finding childcare if school is open part-time. And that's if there are even spaces available. This is definitely one thing that we're, we're kind of freaking out about. We, you know, we have the temporary emergency funding in place until uh, um, August 31st. And then after that, we're, we're nervous about what back to school looks like. There is expected to be big differences between what kindergarten to grade seven looks like. We can't just have one plan because we don't know what the trajectory of the uh, virus is going to be. Fleming also noting that even when a timeline for returning comes, it could change considering it's unknown how widespread COVID-19 could be come September. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. We now know a little more about the provincial government's plans to update the Police Act. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth has announced a special committee of MLAs to review and reform the 45-year-old piece of legislation. The group will look into several things, including a police officer's role on mental health calls and systemic racism within the RCMP and city police departments. The committee will complete a report due in May 2021. There have been growing calls for police reform in jurisdictions across North America following the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis in May. I think we're starting from the position that, uh, as we know, our institutions in this province have systemic racism uh, built into them, uh, often in the form of, of bias and often uh, unintentionally. And so it is the, uh, the, the, the role in this recommendation of the, of the terms of reference for the committee to examine that and bring back recommendations. Now to the historic deficit projection from Ottawa today. 
$340 billion, more than 10 times that of the last fiscal year, due in large part to the pandemic and the massive economic aid and stimulus plan. Keith Baldry has more on the new figures and plans to rebuild the economy. The nature of this crisis is completely unprecedented. It's a public health crisis and an economic crisis. There was no question that this year's federal government budget was going to run up a huge deficit as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Financial relief programs like the CERB and the wage subsidy program are vastly expensive. And today, the latest deficit estimate is a staggering one, more than $343 billion, more than 10 times what had been budgeted for mere months ago. Some will criticize us on the cost of action. They'll point to the size of our deficit in 2021. It's a testament of the shock that COVID-19 had on our economy. But our government knew that the cost of inaction would have been far greater. Finance Minister Bill Morneau said the pandemic has fundamentally altered the economy and said government measures are still required to help Canadians get through the pandemic. We need to learn to live with the challenge we're facing. The economic support clearly says that we've got people's backs during this challenging time. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to manage that, we're going to change those programs as we get the economy back up and running in a way that's going to be fiscally responsible. The opposition Conservatives were quick to react, arguing the huge deficit is proof the Liberal government does not have a plan for any economic recovery. But what we didn't hear was any kind of a plan to support the reopening of our economy and to get Canadians back to work. And the NDP called on the government to focus more on making the richest Canadians pay more. If the government needs to cut costs, they should cut the costs of billions of dollars in giveaways to the wealthiest Canadians. The Green Party, however, threw its support behind the government. We're in a pandemic. This spending is essential, and it's essential we keep spending. It's likely that huge government deficits are here to stay for several years and perhaps even longer. The pandemic has changed so much of society and government budgets are not immune to its shattering impact. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more on this. The numbers are staggering, Keith. What's the impact mm -hmm. on our province? Yeah, we're not spared the, the impact at all, uh, Sophie. So this is the budget Carol James brought in, in back in February. contained uh, projected a tiny surplus of $227 uh, million. You can basically toss this thing aside now because the revenues uh, that were forecast in there, a uh, giant hole has been blown in them on all sorts of fronts. We talked to Finance Minister Carol James today. She says she's bringing in a big deficit budget. We're going to get the re real numbers next week. We were in good shape uh, provincially, a strong economic foundation that's been recognized as something that will assist us as we move into recovery. But there is no question, we are coming forward with a deficit budget. Uh, and you will see those numbers next week when I come out with our, our economic statement. But as the Premier and I said when we brought out our COVID-19 action plan, we need to be flexible and responsive for the needs that are out there. Oh, so uh, in terms of what the number is, uh, everybody's guessing, but you can start with $5 billion. That's the amount of spending that was added to the budget in terms of relief programs. Revenues are down across the board, so we could be looking at a deficit somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 to $10 billion, uh, but we're going to find those numbers out next week. All right, thanks for that, Keith. All right. Three people have died in what Prince George RCMP are now calling a suspicious fire at a downtown motel. Fire 
crews were called to the Prince George Econo Lodge just after 9 a.m. As you can see, flames and heavy smoke were pouring from the building, and one wing of the motel was badly damaged. The firefight forced the closure of several streets in downtown PG, including a stretch of Highway 16. The serious crime section of the Prince George RCMP has been called in to lead the investigation. Fire investigations are notoriously uh, difficult, and certainly this just happened. The fire is seen still hot, um, you know, so there'll be a, a, a number of steps that we take to gather evidence that we started right off the bat to, to gather evidence and information as to uh, who was in the building, uh, whether or not, uh, like for instance, surveillance images, things like that, whether or not there was uh, things that could be seen. So, so we're at the beginning stages. What we do know is that there was a fire in that building and that three people did die as a result of that fire. And one person has died in a suspicious fire at a rural property in the Fraser Valley. Mission RCMP were called to the property on Taylor Road in DeRoche on Tuesday afternoon. Police now confirming a person was killed in that fire. BC Coroner Services are working to identify the victim and investigate the cause of death. A neighbor had initially reported seeing a fire in a fifth-wheel trailer on the property, but police have not confirmed that detail. Well, there is a little relief in the provincial flood situation. People in Cache Creek are getting a break as water levels are dropping and the weather is cooperating. But as John Hua reports, it's too early to let their guard down. The good news here in Cache Creek is that the river levels have once again dropped a couple of inches and residents are holding on to hope that the rain stays away for at least a day. The bad news is, as you can see, the damage has been done. I'm standing on what used to be a bridge and the main access road for the Desert Hills Ranch just outside of the village of Cache Creek. And as you can see, the rising water levels have completely swept away the bridge. Not only that, the Bonaparte River is also carving out new channels across this entire farm. It's uncontrollable. It's nature. Like we don't know uh, what it's going to wash out next. It goes. It'll go through the ground and there may be hard ground and it'll hit a soft spot of uh, gravel bed and it'll just cut that direction. Gishon is also blaming the Elephant Hill fire three years ago, saying whenever it rains, there's nothing to hold that water back and it dumps straight in the Bonaparte River. He says each year the flooding has been getting worse, but he's never seen it this bad. I don't know what the answer will be to this. It'd be a fortune to, like, get this river back under control. In the village of Cache Creek, officials are expecting the rain to return possibly on Thursday. As for the 12 properties on evacuation orders, and the 160 on evacuation alerts, well, those will remain in place until at least the end of the week. We've been talking to the province in the past about this, and they've kind of been like, well, no, you don't really need to replace a culvert with a bridge. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. We're getting tired of hearing no. Back here at Desert Hills Ranch, farmers say some of the crops have been flooded out. Others are at risk with no irrigation because the pumps are literally underwater. For the produce that does survive, the concern is, how do they drive it out with less than a month and a half before they're ready? And I don't know how we're going to get the bridge done. I don't know how you can't work on it when it's like this. It's a huge problem. Now, as the residents of the village of Catch Creek and the outlying areas hold their collective breath over the next couple of days, there are still major long-term issues that need to be addressed. The way the raging Bonaparte River flows is changing, and the people who live along it say they're tired of living under the constant threat of flooding. John Hua, Global News, Cash Creek.
A security guard gets sucker punched. The doctor said it's going to be about three to five months. Despite his injuries, why the senior can't wait to get back to work in just over a minute. What a catch. Why the good Samaritan who caught a falling child was the right man for the job coming up. Also, how a trio of orphaned bear cubs seem to be very happy in their new home. That's later. Right now, though, Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum is taking some time off from his duties after a health scare. In a statement, the 76-year-old says he experienced a health concern that required hospitalization over the weekend. He doesn't disclose the nature of the illness, only that the issue has been addressed. On the advice of his doctors, he says he will be resting and recuperating for the remainder of the week. A source tells Global News McCallum may have suffered stroke-like symptoms. The source claims he was admitted to Surrey Memorial and then moved to UBC Hospital. McCallum says he'll be back at work for Monday's council meeting. In the meantime, Councillor Doug Elford is acting mayor. 33-year-old Matthew Santoro of Surrey is facing charges of assault causing bodily harm in connection with an attack that left a security guard bleeding and now recovering from facial surgery. It happened last Thursday in a Kamloops park. The 71-year-old victim and his family are now hoping the suspect can turn his life around. The doctor said it's going to be about three to five months before I get all the feeling back in my lip and face. Glenn Warner is just out of surgery. A metal plate was put on the right side of his face. It's where he got sucker punched last Thursday morning while patrolling Riverside Park. I didn't even get words out of my mouth. He just looked at me and said a few vulgarities and, and told me to hit the road goof and then smoked me. Warner didn't see it coming. He's used to quick resolution. The assault has him off work for at least the next month. But 12 hours after having surgery, Warner was back at Riverside Park on Wednesday with his son Jason. They wanted to thank the Kamloops RCMP and the community. Yeah, I know Dad's feeling really good. He's feeling a lot of love from this community. Even as we stand here in the park, uh, little kids and workers and, and some of the uh, local uh, street community have come by and said hi to him. A 33-year-old man from Surrey, believed to be the suspect, was arrested here at the Valley View boat launch late Tuesday night. He was followed here by a local motel owner and eventually surrounded by RCMP. The arrest is a relief to Glenn and Jason, but both want the best for the man who allegedly committed the assault. Maybe out of this he'll draw something positive. And he just seemed like a very angry, angry individual. And that's not good because that just rots yourself. Chat class and CFJC News. Still ahead, a racist assault caught on camera. And these communists are all attacking us. The verbal attack at a supermarket that left witnesses stunned. Also tonight, when the COVID crisis decimated sales, how this BC business found a way to bounce back. It's busy here on Broadway in Vancouver due to an accident involving a semi-truck and a motorcycle. This is has eastbound on Broadway using just the left lane as you make your way through past Lillooet, making way towards Rupert. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $6 million plus an additional $1 million prize. In Global One above Broadway, I'm Amber Belzer. 
A new poll is giving us a better indication of how the COVID-19 pandemic is hitting the personal finances of British Columbians. The Coast Capital Savings Poll, conducted with Angus Reid, found the pandemic has impacted the employment of 38% of working people over the past three months. 37% say their personal finances are worse, and 23% say their debt levels have increased over the same period. 28% say they've missed or made only a partial rent or mortgage payment. And only 25% say provincial and federal supports were valuable to them. A B.C. company hurt by the COVID crisis found a way to boost profitability and battle the coronavirus at the same time. In the latest installment of Believe B.C., Ted Chernecki shows us how the company shifted from making retail displays to face shields. So, Peter, uh, where are those barriers? In this sprawling factory in South Surrey, there's a story of another B.C. company that had to bend but didn't break because of the pandemic. AWP has been making retail displays for grocery stores since 1953. Suddenly, a lot of orders were put on hold. The grocery stores are busy, but they're not able to do a lot of the renovations that they were doing before, and they had plans. So we had to pivot. Because most of what they make is made in-house, and they were already into metal, wood, and plexiglass, a pivot into something else was a little less onerous, but adjust they must. So this is one of our uh, face shields that we uh, developed, um, and it was actually made on the same machine as one of these pipe caps. If you see someone wearing a face shield in Fraser Health, there's a good chance it was made here. The pandemic didn't change the business so much as force the company to expand its product line. So there's been many industries we've had to develop uh, barriers for, and one of them is uh, fitness and hairdressers. This is a very popular one. It's a self-standing barrier made out of metal and plastic. Meanwhile, its core business, customized retail displays, is still there, and at least for now, plexiglass barriers are a big part of its business. But the pandemic also revealed the need to redesign traditional supermarket displays, make them less touchy, not such germ magnets. For us, uh, it's actually going to make us busier because we're going to be developing more different furniture and fixtures to replace the outdated ones because we're going to have to buy things differently uh, and display them differently so that people can pick and pack safely. AWP did have to lay off some employees but has since rehired to almost pre-COVID staffing levels. Ted Chernucky, Global News. Still ahead, the best way to live through a lockdown. The pets making life a lot more tolerable at this long-term care home. And the racist rant at a supermarket caught on camera. This program is brought to you in part by Believe BC. Together. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Is now. Traffic is looking good crossing the Alex Fraser Bridge right now. Counterflow is in for southbound, so four lanes into North Delta. And the east-west connector has recovered after multiple problems this afternoon. Volume is light and steady. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $6 million plus an additional $1 million prize. Above the Alex Fraser Bridge deck, I'm Amber Belzer in Global One.
Video captures the moment a bridge gives way in Nova Scotia. It happened as contractors were moving heavy equipment across the span. One worker is seen getting off the bridge just in time. The cause of the collapse is not yet known, but Nova Scotia's Department of Transportation and Infrastructure Renewal says it was scheduled to be replaced this summer. A Mississauga grocery store became the scene of a shocking outburst against mandatory masks. Global's Camille Caramali has more on the ugly incident that turned into a racist rant. Okay, you can all die. You can all die. You can all have. Okay, you can all get sick. Shocking cell phone video. This is a lie. This is a communist socialist lie. Where do we get our Wuhan communist virus from? China. A man seemingly refusing to wear a mask inside this Mississauga TNT supermarket. Communist government gave us Wuhan from China. No, the same communist government that hit it. We are, Can- we are Canadian, sir. Comes- Hurling racist remarks at employees in the Asian grocery store. Get out of my face. Go back to China where you came from and take your coronavirus back to Wuhan. I'm Canadian. Oh, I saw that video. The video making the rounds online, racking up tens of thousands of views. I think that guy is very, very selfish because uh, by wearing masks, you can protect others. TNT Supermarkets claims the shopper had been arguing with another customer and several employees before the video began after staff asked him to wear a mask. He then became irate and aggressive, claiming to have allergies, and then proceeded to claim he and his friend both had asthma. Due to the customer's behavior, we stand by the store manager's decision to ask the customer to leave. Yeah, I, I got hurt. I, I, I really feel hurting. The incident hitting a little too close to home for TNT shopper Sherry Plord and her daughter, who've also faced racism since COVID-19 hit Canada. One lady just yelled at me and saying, you stupid Chinese lady, walk away. Peel police say they did receive a call on Sunday related to the incident, but it was cancelled since the customer left the store before officers could respond. The communist government gave us this Wuhan from China. At the end of the day, you just have to brush it off and just think that people probably don't have proper knowledge on this. Camille Karamoli, Global News. Also caught on video, the split-second reaction by a former football player that likely saved a child's life. In a blink and you'll miss it moment, Philip Banks catches the three-year-old boy after he's thrown from the third floor balcony of a burning Arizona apartment. The boy was injured but will recover. I just had tunnel vision on the boy and uh, just made a God help me with that catch. We were close to the ground and it was it was a miracle. Another man raced into the building and into the apartment, rescuing the boy's sister. Tragically, their mother died in the fire. Well, between fears about COVID-19 and not being able to visit with friends and loved ones, the past few months have been difficult and lonely for many care home residents. But one BC long-term care facility in Comox has a secret weapon to ward off boredom and isolation. Brad McLeod reports. Pat Knudsen getting her cuddles in with Joey the cat. It gives her and other residents some calm during confusing COVID times. We have three cats named Joey, Marsha, and Wednesday. But that's not all. There are countless fish, four birds, Perky, Polly, Tweety, and Seabee, 
and a regularly visiting pup named Brunswick. These furry and feathered friends filling a giant hole left by families, unable to visit their vulnerable loved ones. While relatives are best, their science which supports pets improving mental health. A decrease in agitation, a recognition of something familiar, uh, uplifting of mood, decreased anxiety. And one feline at the views potentially saved a resident's life. She just seemed very sad and it was uh, Joey, the cat, who really seemed to sense. And through that connection, we really saw that he was able to draw out of her some hope and she started eating and drinking. The pets and people here will soon have a $52.6 million facility with 156 publicly funded beds. The village-style community will be run by Providence Living and is expected to open in four years. Also, next week we will be able to start to facilitate those in-person meetings between uh, a family member and a resident. The province recently gave the go-ahead to plan for family visitations. Guidelines are that it's a, a single member of a family. Island Health will start approving facilities plans for visits mid-July. Until then, do you see the bird? It's a full-time snuggle schedule for these pets until family can take over. Brad McLeod, Global News. Still to come, a BC teenager pushes the limits of his physical and mental endurance. Yeah, it was uh, definitely one of the hardest things I've done in my life. How he just set a Canadian record with this epic ride. And the challenge to keep this tiny cutie alive. An update on the rescue of Joey the sea otter pup. Give a shout out. Tag posts with hashtag BC Healthcare Heroes or email Heroes at globalnews.ca to share with Global News. BC Healthcare Heroes in partnership with Fortis BC, caring for the BC communities where we live and work. Fair warning, this story is going to tug on your heartstrings in more ways than one. Vancouver's Marine Mammal Rescue Centre is caring for an impossibly adorable new patient. We introduced you to Joey yesterday. He had a tragic start to his life, but now the centre staff are working round the clock to give him a happy ending. Linda Aylesworth reports. This is what the Marine Mammal Rescue Centre in Vancouver is best known for. Every year they rehabilitate over a hundred orphaned harbor seal pups. Once in a while, something unusual arrives in need of help. Meet Joey, a two-week-old sea otter pup discovered last week near the northern tip of Vancouver Island. Alone and crying, an adult sea otter, presumably his mother, lying dead not far away. Had he been out in the wild on his own without his mom, he wouldn't have survived. And we have the ability to step in and we can never replace mom, we can never be as good as mom, but we can give him a life. Christy has nurtured seven sea otter pups in her career. She's well aware of how cute they are and how impossibly soft their fur is. I also can look at a sea otter pup though and see the cuteness, but also see all the work that has to go into raising that sea otter pup. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize, that it is a lot of work. Like a human baby, he needs round-the-clock care. Joey is literally never alone. They need to be fed every couple hours, even in the middle of the night. 
The bottle filled with a warm mixture of puppy formula water and ground up clams. The resulting mess after a good feed washed off in a cool bath. It's essential to keep his fur, the densest in the animal kingdom, well groomed. They have roughly one million hairs per square inch on the body. It really is what keeps them warm as they don't have any blubber on their body. <laughs> Every hour or two between naps, the routine is repeated. It's a lot of work, but no one's complaining. The reward, the fact that Joey seems to be getting stronger every day. He's still closely monitored by our veterinary staff um, in case any problems should arise, but he's doing everything we would hope and expect a baby sea otter pup to be doing. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. <laughs> that face. So cute. And how about these faces? Three orphan grizzly bear triplets have a new place to call home. These little guys were abandoned when their mother was shot by hunters in Alberta. They've now been taken in by the Greater Vancouver Zoo. Grizzly bear cubs typically stay with their mother for three years before heading out on their own, so they will require special care over the next few years. Staff at the zoo say the triplets are adapting well to their new surroundings. On the first day, they ran around and used all the exhibit, discovered every area of it, and they found the pond. And they love the pond. They just jump in and they play in it, and it's so wonderful to see them. Well, the zoo will be launching a contest to name the three cubs soon. You can find it on their website. All right, just before we get to Christy and our forecast, take a look at some serious flooding in Toronto today. Video from the Somerset and Davenport area shows water flooding the intersection. The person who posted the video says he was nearly swept away. Another video shows a red car driving through a flooded underpass and puts into perspective the extent of the flooding. And finally, video shows water breaking through an Etobicoke garage and pouring onto a pickup truck. It was just before 3 p.m. local time the region saw severe thunderstorms roll through. An estimated 65 millimeters of rain fell in just half an hour. Yikes. Crazy. No kidding. All right, our weather forecast, not quite as crazy. Christy Gordon joins us with a look. Christy? That's right. So, you know, that 65 millimeters, that's more than what we would typically see through an entire summer here uh, in Metro Vancouver. That's a ton of rain in a half an hour. Here's a quick look at that Toronto area. They had lines of thunderstorms in through southern Ontario with heat warnings in effect today and pushing through uh, the United States as well. But you can see near Toronto is really just quite an isolated cell that popped up and there was potential for tornadoes. There was a, a watch issued. Now, our region, it's dry where I am right now, but in not too long that won't be the case yes rain pushing in and we'll see that through the morning hours tomorrow and it's going to shift up into those areas that are still under flood concerns so including cash creek including the quinell area so we'll be watching those areas very closely so that's tomorrow morning and then it breaks apart becomes more spotty in the afternoon but you'll see that there are still some isolated areas that could see significant amounts for our region likely breaks a blue sky later in the day but still a chance of showers near the mountains but this is how much. So about 5 to 15 millimeters for those areas of concern. Metro Vancouver, the wettest period will be in the morning with that uh, 10 to 20 millimeters expected. So not bad conditions across the far north, but from the central interior south, that's where we're going to see a number of showers. Southeastern corner dry though. And for our area, yes, rain tomorrow morning, easing off to breaks the blue sky later in the day, but we still do have a chance of showers along the mountains. Friday looks nice, but then we have a chance of showers over the weekend 
10 at this point. And I'll leave you with our central windows weather window. A stunning shot looking out from the Steveston region. Thank you so much to Don Gavin for that. All right, guys, back to you. Pretty spectacular. Thanks, Christy. Sure is. All right, Squire joins us in the group now. What's uh, going on? I know a lot of people are getting really excited about pro sports starting back up again. Well, we have some dates, tentative, mind you, about the NHL's restart and even next season. But first, the Canucks announced their team award winners for the long-since-done regular season. So can you guess who the Canucks MVP was? Yes, just like last year, marks from the MVP. We will tell you the other winners as well. Also coming up, the cycling phenomenon known as Everesting and the BC teenager who just crushed a Canadian record. award season for the Canucks. (laughs) Yes. Some deserving winners, too. Yeah, but don't make the speeches too long or we'll play the music and you'll have to get (laughs) off the stage. Uh, The Vancouver Canucks announced their their award winners, I should say, for the pandemic-shortened season. Alex Edler won the new Daniel and Henrik Sedin Award, which is for community service and leadership. The player who won the Most Three Stars Award was also the one who won fan voting for Team MVP. No surprise. Jacob Markstrom again, won 23 games. And remember, this guy plays in a team that allows over 33 shots per game. He was most definitely the MVP. Most exciting player, second year in a row, Elias Pettersson. The unsung hero, well, he was the leading scorer, but maybe because he didn't get any other awards, they gave him unsung, JT Miller. And no surprise, best defenseman Quinn Hughes, who still has a very good chance of being named the NHL's Rookie of the Year. All right, so these dates are being uh, reported back east. TSN is talking about these dates as possible start dates for this season. You can see the play-in rounds on July 30th. The Stanley Cup final would start September 20th. When the final ends, then October 6th, NHL draft, free agency the 9th, training camps the 17th, and the next regular season would start on December 1st. But, of course, all these dates are tentative right now. Well, one of the differences in Major League Soccer's return tournament in Orlando is coaches will be able to sub more than normal. Instead of three, they'll be able to sub five players. It's new for me, these five substitutions. I never never had to deal with them, and it's new for for every coach here. So I think we're going to learn a lot from it uh, during the tournament. On Tuesday... Make that actually Monday. Hastings Park held its first racing day of the year. It was the start of a shortened season, only 25 days on the schedule for the thoroughbreds this year. Originally, the season was supposed to be 51 days of racing starting in late April. It took a lot of work to convince health officials to let the track have at least a shortened season. Fans are not allowed in. And as you can see, every living thing that works at the racetrack, except the horses themselves, has to wear a mask. I'm not wearing a mask now for the purpose of the interview, but the mask will go back back on immediately after the interview. We're taking every precaution possible, 
And Great Canadian, they had a team put together a safety plan. They worked hard on it. It's a multi, multi-page document, like 34 pages. There they go. You may be wondering, why run if there are no fans? Well, these races are for online betting, which the track gets a piece of, because not running any races this year would have put a lot of jobs in jeopardy and perhaps the future of the racetrack in jeopardy itself. Uh, we've been very fortunate here to have a situation that allows people to keep their jobs, to keep supporting themselves, supporting their family. Very, very fortunate. So if we didn't run, I don't know. What we do know is a lot of the funds for prize money for racing comes from casinos, which aren't operating right now. So with only a cut of online betting as revenue, the prize money isn't as high. We're going to do our very best to maximize return on that revenue stream, but we really need the casinos back in operation so that we can keep everybody's jobs back here going. One thing the long delay to start the season did give Hastings Park were horses that were more than ready to go. They are fit. They're ready to run. Some of these horses have been in training since January. They, didn't, they haven't taken breaks. They've carried on with the training. <laughs> so the way Dan Jukic says, there they go, when I wrote the little thing at the start, I went, they are, when I should have wrote just there. <laughs> <laughs> they are it got in my head. There they go. Oh, that must be the way you spell it. Huh? You can't be perfect all the time. Well, almost. Fifty percent. Almost. Yeah. Thanks, Squire. All right. Here's Andrea now. The preview of Global News at eleven. And thanks, Chris. A police incident in rural Chilliwack has ended, but a number of roads had been closed to traffic. We have a crew on scene. Plus, we'll have more on that fire at a Prince George motel that has claimed three lives. And Vancouver Strip Club Brandy's is reopening tonight after a number of COVID cases were reported, but there is a certain type of clientele they are not allowing in. We'll explain when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris, Sophie. Very intriguing indeed. Thank you, Anne. Tonight's healthcare hero is just ahead. Plus, the BC teen who climbed Everest on a bike, sort of. <laughs> All right, it is time to salute another one of our BC healthcare heroes working hard for BC through the COVID-19 pandemic. Tonight's nomination comes from the staff at Berkeley Care Center in North Vancouver who want to recognize their manager, Patricia PJ Jappiloker. They say that PJ is a healthcare superhero. Every day she drives from Abbotsford to North Vancouver to manage the facility. When the care center experienced an outbreak, PJ was there on weekends as well, working 44 days in a row. She usually arrives around 6.30 in the morning to greet the day staff and stays until 3 to say hello to the afternoon shift as well. Abbotsford and North Van, wow. Mm -hmm. PJ is a dedicated and supportive manager who often wears scrubs to lend a hand with resident care when needed. She's very well liked, respected, and appreciated by the staff, residents, and their family members. Patricia, the staff at Berkeley Care Center are so thankful they have you leading the charge, especially through this pandemic. And we thank you for being a BC healthcare hero. If you have a BC Healthcare Hero you would like to see recognized, send an email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Don't forget to send us a few pictures and details about why they're your hero. Well done. 
All right, this is an amazing story. It's called Everesting. Pick any hill anywhere in the world and ride it repeatedly until you've climbed the equivalent of the elevation of Mount Everest. Well, over the weekend, a Kelowna teenager rode into the record book. Global's Travis Lowe has more on how he did it and his motivation. A couple of Sunday cyclists out for an easy ride. Not exactly. Yeah, it was uh, definitely one of the hardest things I've done in my life. 17-year-old Kelowna road racer Jacob Rubilak is on his way to crushing the Canadian Everesting record, climbing 8,848 meters. That's 29,000 feet, or 38 and a half laps of Knox Mountain. The total elevation equivalent of the world's highest peak, Mount Everest. You got it! Rubilak's time in the saddle, a paltry nine hours and 33 minutes. Almost an hour faster than the previous record. And while Rubilak didn't have to negotiate the Kumbu icefall, enter Everest's death zone, or even encounter a bottleneck of climbers at the infamous Hillary Step, his record-setting cycling attempt to the top of the world still wasn't easy. It was a pretty hot day. Um, got up to, I think, 32 degrees. Um, so I was... I was burning out there. But the toughest part was uh, the Knox Wall. A steep 300 meter long pitch that destroys cyclists. Quite a grunt to get out there even in your easiest gear. Still, Kelowna's Knox Mountain is making a name for itself when it comes to Everesting, which has become a popular trend with some cyclists during the COVID-19 pandemic. It took 19 hours and 14 minutes in total time. In June, endurance athlete Megan Hakkinen Everested Knox, lapping the mountain road 43 times in one day. Good morning, psychopath. Rubilak is recovering back at work hoping that his Everesting record will help him hitch a ride on a professional road racing team. I had to take an e-bike to keep up with him, but I did do a lap with him. When and if that happens, it certainly won't be a surprise to his boss. He has fantastic work ethic for a 17-year-old. Uh, it puts uh, full-grown adults to shame. In the meantime, Rubilak says he'll take a short break before returning to training. I'll need, a, need at least a week away from Knox for now. Um, you know, in the future, maybe, maybe go back to a few laps, but yeah, for the moment, need a big rest. Travis Lowe, Global News, Kelowna. I feel like maybe he seized up there. <laughs> it's a little muscle cramp. <laughs> maybe just a little lactic acid buildup, maybe? I don't know. I'm always amazed they can stay in those little <laughs> uncomfortable seats for all that time. Well, he may not have been doing much I'm sitting with you. after That's that. True. He so I looked it up. He so there's a, an app called Strava that tracks all the stats yeah. for the ride. He burned 7,400 calories during his nine and a half hour ride, and his distance was 245 kilometers. Wow. Yeah. 8,843 vertical meters. Meters. Yeah. If I burn that many calories, I'd only be 23 pounds. <laughs> I mean, he didn't. He's pretty light. <laughs> that helps like on it. that helps on the climbs. All right, last word on weather before we go, Christy. Thanks. So we will see the rainfall push in through the evening hours tonight, depending on your location overnight, and we'll see it through the morning hours tomorrow. All right. Thanks very much, and thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night, all.